Good evening, everyone. Be careful. I always cover my face like this, like a Norebang style. I gotta be careful. I should make sure that I do this. Um, once again, for those who don't know me, my name is Myungwa Choi. I'm one of the pastors from New Philadelphia Church. I would like to welcome everyone. Uh, thanks for always coming out to pray and intercede for my country, for for this land that you are dwelling in. And I'm sure God's going to continue to bless you guys as you continue to come and intercede. And I'm really just proud of, and I'm sure there are people that's been coming out to JPM every single month for the past four and a half years, right? And I see some people like nodding. You know who you are. I don't have to call you out. But I really just want to honor you guys for sacrificing one Saturday a month and always coming out to bless this nation. And I know that those seeds are going to bear much fruit. So I want to encourage everyone to really make that commitment. If you haven't been doing that, uh, I want to encourage everyone to really make that commitment this year, at least for one year, that you, for you to continue to come out and to set this Saturday apart. Every third Saturday of month, it's JPM. It's JPM day. You know, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to schedule in anything, but I will be there and bless the land that God has called me to be at. So... Just want to release that challenge, but really, welcome. Um, today's message is really, really challenging and difficult message for me to preach personally. You're going to find that later, but I'm going to do it with boldness because it's the word of the Lord. And so don't be shocked if you find me later at the altar with you guys. Don't be shocked by that because I need some prayer <laughs> regarding this as well. I'm going to preach about love today. Right. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to look at chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. I'm going to divide it into two different portions. So I'm going to be reading the first portion, and then I'll break it down for you, and then we'll move on to read the rest of the passage today. So let me uh, read the first three verses for you. Are you guys there? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'll be reading from ESV. It says this, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Him is Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let me read one more verse. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I'm going to stop right there. So this lawyer came to Jesus to tempt him, right? And then he, he asked this question. Jesus asked him the question. He answers correctly. And then Jesus affirms him by saying, yeah, you answer correctly, right? So he's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but if you just think about the law of God that's given to us, like the Ten Commandments that the Israelites has received in the, in the wilderness, if you think about the Ten Commandments, and I know a lot of you have been memorized, the first four are regarding 
their relationship with God, right? Don't have any idols, don't have any carved images, keep the Sabbath, and don't say my name in vain, right? All those four things are regarding their relationship with the Lord, correct? So it's about how to love the Lord well. And then the remaining six, six, more than five, more than half, the six of them are actually don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. It all regards our relationship with our neighbors, the people that are around us. So if you could correctly summarize it, yes, it is about loving the Lord. And the other half, or actually more than half, is about loving our neighbors and people that are around us. If you know Matthew chapter 22, another lawyer actually comes to Jesus and asks a very, very similar question. And, and Jesus actually answers the lawyer with the same answer. You're going to love the Lord, and also you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. So this lawyer guy that came to challenge Jesus actually gave him the correct answer, right? But then this answer, he said it himself, but it's such a... Huge challenge. You guys notice that? It's such a big deal. Like, it's a, it's a life, it's a matter of life and death. Life or death, right? Cause, uh, well, how do I inherit the eternal life? So if you do this, if you love the Lord, if you love your neighbor, you will. What if you don't? What if I fail to? What happens then? It's actually bigger than a matter of life or death. It's a matter of eternal life or eternal death. Such a huge deal for him, right? So I could totally understand why he's like feeling a little like, oh, I need to justify myself. You know, I gotta make sure that I'm doing a good job of keeping this commitment or else I'm doomed, right? I'm like, I'm gonna die for eternity and that's not cool, right? So he, the verse says this, verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor then? Okay, watch this. Notice how significant this question is. And try to read his heart behind it. So he says, then, who's my neighbor? He's not saying, who's my neighbor so that I can go and love them right now. His heart is, so who, then, who's my neighbor? Like, give me clear definition of what it is so that I could do bare minimum and not get in trouble with it. You know? So, okay, who do I have to love? My mom, my dad, my brothers, sisters, who do I have to love? How far do I have to go? Maybe my cousins. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe my church friends. Or I'll be nice to them. You know, draw the clear line for me, Jesus, so that I could do the minimum and not get in trouble of eternal damnation. That's what he's asking. So who, then who's my neighbor? And, you know, before I get into how Jesus answered this question, I think also another question that we all have in our mind, it's not in this passage, but I think if I were to be in his shoe, I would have asked him this question, Jesus, this question. All right, Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? And another one is, um, how much do I have to love? You know, it's really vague, Jesus. You know, you tell me to love my neighbor as myself, but how much is that? I share my food with them? You know, like I, I give them my seat for them on the bus or on a subway. You know, what does it mean to love them as myself? Like how far do I have to go? Or what you mean by that so that I don't get in trouble and do the bare minimum and make it? You know, how much do I have to love? See how 
it exhibits the same heart, do to do the minimum and be okay with it. And I know a lot of people, I even heard some messages about this passage saying, you know, people don't know how to love neighbors because they don't know how to love themselves. Uh, some people say, as like an excuse, yeah, I don't even love myself. And how am I supposed to love others, you know? And you can tell by the tone of my voice that I really totally do not approve this statement, by the way. So don't, don't all nod at that, all right? <laughs> I, I completely disapprove that point. And let me prove it by the exegesis, okay? The truth is that all of you in this room, maybe with a couple of troubled individuals, all of you in this room love yourself very much. You guys love yourself to death. Let me say that. You are an expert in loving yourself. So we need to think about the meaning of love in this passage, right? The Greek language has four different words that we can translate into love. So how English is so genetic, you know, even Korean too, very generic language. But Greek language was very specific about distinguishing all different types and forms of love. Number one, eros. Everyone say eros. eros. It's physical, sensual love between a husband and a wife. Good thing. Um, two, philia. Everyone say philia. It's a close friendship or brotherly love. Actually, our church, uh, my church is New Philadelphia Church. And the city of Philadelphia, it's a city of brotherly love, right? So it's a phileo, philia. So Philadelphia, you guys get that? Philia. It's the friendship, brotherly love. And I have no idea how to read this, but let me try. Storage or storge? Storage? Let's just say storage, all right? Everyone say storage. You all might have said it wrong, <laughs> but it's okay. It means family love. It's a bond among mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers. We all have this love, right? Family love, right? And then the fourth one is agape. Everyone say agape. agape. This sounds most familiar, right? It means selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. So it's a type of love that Jesus showed to the Father and also to us, his followers. And, and, you know, think about all of you English speakers, how casual the word love is in American culture or Canadian culture or even in Korean culture. I'm trying to be sensitive to other people. Think about how this word to love is so genetic and so casual. I love blank. Like you could pretty much throw in anything and everything and it will work. Like the first thing that comes to mind actually with that blank is McDonald's. Why? It's not because I love McDonald's, but you guys know that I'm loving it. You know that advertisement? Because of that, whenever I think about I love blank, it's like, I'm loving it. Like McDonald's, you know? I love McDonald's. That's like the first thing that comes to my mind. How, how jacked up that, you know? That's really not cool, right? I'm a pastor thing. You know, pretty much you could throw anything into that blank and it will all work. Oh, I love kimchi. I love my new shoes. Like, I love, you know, my, I, I don't know what you like, but you can all say, I love blank. So you could be, like, enjoying McDonald's breakfast set or something, you know? And I'm saying, oh, I love this food. And at the same time, you might tell your girlfriend that's sitting across, I love you, honey. I hope that they don't mean the exact same thing. 
and one is more significant than the other, the weight of the words should be different. I understand that. But you see how the, the words are just used in the exact same form and way, you know? The way you love your wife or husband, the, you, you, you love McDonald's, you know? How pathetic is that, you know? Man, they better mean something else, okay? But sadly, that's the reality. And love is being thrown around and misused every single day, everywhere. And most of the time, it only means when you say you love something, it just means that you have positive feelings or positive emotions about the object. You know? And what would be more appropriate to describe those feelings or positive emotions, I think, is to like. So Facebook got it right, right? You like something, right? I think they got it totally right, you know? But because of this cultural difference that we have with the Greek culture, we have degraded the meaning of love so greatly that we don't even understand it properly these days. But however, in this commandment that Jesus gave, the verb that was used is agape. It's a verbal form, agapao. It's not talking about brotherly affection. It's not talking about arrows. It's not talking about family love. It's talking about agape. He tells us to agapao the Lord and agapao others as our own selves. It's agape love that he's talking about. The commandment isn't like your neighbor. It is to love your neighbor. You know, Jesus is not telling us to fake or manufacture some kind of emotions or feelings or some hormones to love your neighbor. He's telling us to make that deliberate choice to act in love towards your neighbor. Agape is an action verb. Everyone say action verb. verb. It has very little to do with your emotions or feelings, but it has a lot to do with what you do with it. It has to do with choice of attitude, attitude, I said, behavior, and action. That's what true agapao, to love your neighbor, means. Now, in that light, let me tell you this. You really agapao yourself. Like, think about how you treat yourself. You might not realize it, but let me explain. You might not have those positive feelings and emotions towards you. If you do, that's fine. I do too. Um, I like myself and I love myself. But you definitely agapow you in that definition. The action, the attitude, you're always nice to yourself, don't you? Aren't you always nice? And, and think about how dedicated you are, dedicated you are to meet all the needs that you have every single day. You feel hungry, immediately you're going to grab food. You feel thirsty, you're going to make sure that you grab a water, a bottle, a bottle of water. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, you are committed to meet all the needs of yours for a lifetime. All of you, until you die. You are very, very committed to yourself for a lifetime. You love yourself. Think about how sometimes you could spill water, right, on your lap or something. What are you going to do? Without even having the second thought, you don't even need a second to think about it. You're going to grab a napkin. doesn't matter where the napkin is. You're going to go run, grab it, and then wipe yourself, right? Is that correct? But think about 
someone sitting with you and eating eating lunch or dinner, and let's say that oh that person spilled water all over, and oh you're gonna be oh napkin, but you're gonna still eat your food. <laughs> oh where's napkin? Yogi, like you know, but you're not gonna stop eating. You're not gonna go out of the way and then wipe that person. Let's just be real. That's what you're gonna do. But that person, because it's their own lab, they're gonna frantically go, frantically go search for the napkin and wipe themselves. Right? Think about getting ready in the mornings. Girls, who here takes more than one hour to get ready in the mornings? You don't have to raise your hands. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. I take almost an hour. Almost. Slightly under an hour. But think about everything that you do in the morning to serve yourself, to love yourself. To make you look pretty, what you put on, what you put on on your face, makeup. And before makeup even starts, you have like five different steps to, you know, moisturize your face. And you got to pet it nicely. And some girls, you're like, yeah, uh uh-huh, that's important, right? And what you do for yourself all throughout the day, after you get home, what you do? You wash up, you know, you put that little cute pajama on yourself, and you serve yourself. You know how to love yourself. If you are, I mean, whether you're aware of it or not, everyone is an expert in loving themselves. Can I get an amen for that? Mm -hmm. Then this command gets real serious. What's the command? Love your neighbor as yourself. And how good are you at loving? You are very good. It's just a matter of if you are choosing to do that for others or not. When it comes down to it, it's a choice that you make. You know what this command means? Go meet their needs as you will meet your own needs. Show that sacrificial, selfless, and committed form of love to others. Not just a lip service. But in other words, treat them the way you want to be treated by them. This command is serious. It's challenging. It's very challenging. That's why I'm going to be at the altar later, right? And now let's go back to the question that the lawyer asked. What did he ask? Who is my neighbor? So, okay, that kind of love, agape love, who do I have to do it to? That's an important question, right? Let's find out. Who are we supposed to show that kind of love to? As an answer, Jesus gives a parable, a nice story, verses 30 to 37. It's quite famous, but we are still going to read it together. I'm going to be reading from ESV. I want... Um, let me take even verses, and you guys can take odd number verses. You guys got that? If you have different version, that's fine. Just read along with us. Okay, uh, you guys, I'm on. Right, you should start. Verse 29. One, two, three. Start. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And altogether, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Amen. So Good Samaritan's parable, it's actually to this lawyer. If you think about this parable from his perspective, This is a nice parable for us, but for him, it's a very offensive and very, very radical parable. So let me explain why. It starts with how the priest and Levite responded to the situation. When the victim was lying half dead, beaten down, stripped, naked, what do they do? Let's let's look at that. But priest, you can understand that. Priest is the most respected among the Jewish people. So it's talking about like in a church setting. Like the head pastor, like full-time ministers and people like that, right? So they're very well-respected and honored men of religion, men of, like, religion. But what did they do? The, the, the Levites were also the spiritual leaders over, uh, over the other Jewish people. They served in the temple, right? So they are like the ministers as well, like the church leaders, let's say. So what happened is they, they walked by, and the Levite... You know, like those people in that social hierarchy, you know, you can understand Jewish culture and society is very religious society. So if they are religiously high, it means social rank, like hierarchy wise, they are very, very high as well. So those people, Jesus is plainly talking about them and saying they just didn't do anything. They actually walked by on the other side of the road. And for a Jewish man to hear this, it's very offensive, right? And some people say it was because they're afraid of becoming ceremonially unclean. It's because if the priest or if anyone touches a dead body, uh, you become ceremonially unclean and you are disqualified from going into the temple and serving for, for a period of time, right? So a lot of people think that, oh, they kind of had to do it uh, because they had to go serve and blah, blah, blah. But I don't agree with that. It says... The Levite and the priest were going down on the road. You guys got that going down, right? If you look at the geography, Jerusalem is on, on a hill. And then Jericho, it's like constant downhill. You just have to take the road down, 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 and then you're going to get to Jericho, right? So it means that they were on the way down to the Jericho. It means they were done with their duties. They were done serving in the temple, and they're on the way back home. And they cannot use that excuse anymore, you know? Oh, what are you going to say? Oh, I've got to serve the Lord so I cannot be unclean. So let me just pass by. This time someone else is going to take care of it. Okay, peace out. That's what they did. But that's a, such a lame excuse because they were on the way home. And they know the law more than anyone. If anyone's in trouble or in need of help, priests, Levites, they, they should have been the first ones to go and help. Knowing the law so well, they didn't. See how this passage is talking about hypocrisy. And now using God's name or even the cause of worship to excuse themselves from loving on this guy. You know, sometimes don't we do that too? 
I'm on the way to a prayer meeting. I can't be late. So I can't help that person. You know? Sometimes you do that too. Using God's name as an excuse. And also, I'm sure it was very inconvenient for them. The distance from Jerusalem to Jericho is 36 kilometers. It's not a short way. It's over 22 miles. So if you walk, how long is it going to take? Somebody do the calculation. Like days? Hours? Weeks? Maybe for me? I don't know. It's a pretty long way, right? 22 miles. It's, it's a long way to walk. And this road was very narrow, rocky, and it's very like curvy too. And it's known to be very, very hot. It's in the middle of a desert. So even for you to ride on an animal and go down the road, it's still annoying enough. It's difficult enough. You know, don't bother me. I got to get home ASAP so that I can take a cold shower. I'm sure it was inconvenient. You know, sometimes you live in a Korean culture that's so, so all about bali bali, hurry, hurry, quickly, quickly culture that I feel like sometimes all these foreigners are chilled and relaxed, like from California, from like all these different places. Like they come here and they become like one of us. Like, you know, they learn to be bali bali and quickly, quickly, and they get annoyed, you know, like when they like miss the subway train, but the next one's coming in four minutes, you know, but they're all like annoyed and agitated, you know. I feel like a lot of foreigners come here and they get into that bali bali culture. They get immersed into that. I, whenever I see that, I get really sad, actually, you know. But, you know, like, ah, I, got a, I got my schedule, you know. I got my agenda. I got a list of to-do things, you know, to-do list. I got to accomplish them all so I cannot be late, you know. And you just don't give yourself a moment to even look at that guy, even check on that guy. If he's alive or dead, you're just like, I, mean, I got to go, man. This is what they did. And I'm sure there was some of that desensitized, um, desensitized, is that a noun? I don't know, I made it up. But I'm sure they were desensitized by what they were seeing. What I mean by that is, it was a very common thing in the valley on the road for someone to encounter robbers. So that road was actually called the way of blood because so many people got robbed and attacked on that road. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm used to seeing this. It happens all the time. That's just how it is in this hood kind of attitude, you know? And it's everywhere, you know? If you lived in Korea for, for uh, quite a bit of time, you would hear about suicide all the time. Do you know that every 25 minutes, somebody commits suicide in this city? Every 25 minutes. Every 25 minutes. So during my sermon, probably two people ended their lives. That's how bad it is, right? It's the worst. And we've been number one among the OECD countries for the past nine years. And the rate is more than double of the second place. It's ridiculous. It's really a great dishonor. But, like, you get so used to it. You know, like, years ago, uh, it was, like, a Korea's, like, most famous actress, Choi jin she committed suicide, leaving two children behind because she had a very unhappy marriage and all that. Uh, her husband was cheating on her and all that happened. And she committed suicide. And then, I think, a year later, her younger brother, who was also an actor and singer, committed suicide. 
And recently, about a couple weeks ago, I think, her ex-husband committed suicide too. And think about those kids, you know? But I am, yeah, but sometimes you get desensitized because it happens all the time. Because that's just how it is here. You know, Korea is number one suicidal country, you know? And you kind of numb yourself to the pain of it, to how bad it is. And yeah, I mean, another, another one. We cannot allow that to happen to us. You know, I'm, I'm actually glad to see my brothers and sisters agonizing on it. I do not want to feel them frustrated because frustration is a sign of helplessness, but we're not helpless. But I, I do not want us to be apathetic about it. I prefer holy anger over apathy. I do not want us to be desensitized over the things that go on in this country. And I'm sure these guys, man, on that way of blood, oh, another one. This is how it is, man. What can I do? Walk by him. You know? And Jesus, continuing his story, he skips. So it's kind of like, you know, it went from a priest and then to a Levite, right? And then he skips kind of like a, there's something called Joseph Jews. It's like a higher level Jews. And then there are normal Jews. And he skips all of them. And Jesus jumps to who? A Samaritan. Let me tell you about Samaritan. In Jewish mindset, Samaritans were less than an animal, less than human. So they were commonly referred to as dogs to Jewish people, despised and hated just because they were a mixed race. You know, they were like a Jewish, not pure-blooded Jewish people, but they were like mixed with other, all the historical background. But because of that, they were hated and despised, right? This Samaritan walks by, and let's see what he does. Are you guys hot or cold? All right, fine. Okay, good. <laughs> it's usually really hot up, up on the stage, but it's fine. Okay, so while the... You know, priest and Levite pass by on the other side. This man, Samaritan man, goes up to the injured guy. All right, he approaches him. He stops and took care of his wounds and oil and wine. If you're wondering why he poured them, it was kind of like a first aid kit back in the days, right? So he poured oil and wine and treating him, spent time with the guy, and he put him on his own donkey on that steep and very difficult road to even walk, and he himself walked by the donkey, right? That's sacrifice. He took the wounded man to the inn, right? And he gave money. And here, a denarius was a day's wage, right? So it's like how much money you can make within a day. And he spent how many denarii? Two. So that's almost like 10% of your income. If you work like 20 days per, per month, that's like your tithe, you know, 10% of your income is a lot, right? And he gave 10% of his monthly income to care, take care of this guy. And he even said, if you need more money, with no limit, I'll pay back. With no limit. But remember, this Samaritan guy was in an enemy's territory. so They could totally rip him off. They could say, yo, you owe me 200 denarii. Give me that money. He kind of has to. How vulnerable is that, you know? But he did that. Take care of him, and I'll pay you back. You know, he took the vulnerability to take care of this stranger, right? And um, costly, man, costly love. Remember, um, 
Samaritans were hated and despised. And let's think about all these Jewish guys like looking at him. What the heck is he doing? The Samaritan dude, what is he doing? You know, how self-conscious he must have felt in the middle of all his enemies, people that hate him and trying to do that good work, you know, trying to take care of this man. Everyone must have been looking at him like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Like this Samaritan dog came and trying to take care of one of our men. That self-consciousness, I'm sure that was very difficult to handle as well. The true demonstration of agape love is so well, so well depicted in this story. And remember, they don't know each other. No prior relationship with the wounded man. He will not gain anything materially back from this guy. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure if this Jewish man wakes up and finds out that this Samaritan man took care of him and paid for him, I'm pretty sure in that culture, he would have thought of it as a shame. Oh, you think that he will wake up and think, oh, this Samaritan man took care of him. How, how, you know, how awesome and whatever. No. What? This Samaritan man took care of me? What a shame. Well, he might have actually blamed the Samaritan man for doing that. You know, who are you to touch me? He might have been blamed for even taking care of him and paying for stuff like that. You know, at the risk of it, knowing all the cultural facts, understanding it fully, he still did it. You know that feeling sometimes you do something for someone, costly, something that costs you, but then after doing it, you get blamed for that. Yo, dude, why did you do that? Like, I'm like, what the, I did it for you, and you're getting angry at me? You know that feeling is like the worst feeling in the world. I hate that. You know, feeling unappreciated for what I did, like as an act of like love. Like, why did you do that? Why did you spend the money on it, dude? I didn't even enjoy the tea. Like, all right, never doing it again, you know. <laughs> but like, think about this guy's situation. He spent all this money and time and he sacrificed so much. But then this guy probably after waking up will blame him for that. You know, you Samaritan, how dare you touch me? You should have just left me dying. Probably you would have said that, you know? How unfair. And uh, so after this story, this Samaritan portion of the story, so Jesus asked the lawyer, who among them proved to be a neighbor? Who among them? And the answer is obvious, right? The Samaritan man, the good Samaritan man. But then this guy, the lawyer guy, couldn't even say because he was so offended in his mind. Good Samaritan is like oxymoron to him, you know? Samaritans are all bad, and there's no good Samaritan. You know, no Samaritan shows mercy, but in the story, it is. He can't even say good Samaritan, but he says, mm, the, the one that showed mercy. You know? He answers that way. So, who is our neighbor? It goes as far as a stranger, as far as even to an enemy, like enemy. And whoever, pretty much whoever you encounter in your life, that's when it comes down to it. Those people are your neighbors. You guys like that? Ready for the altar call later? <laughs> Man. 
So let's think about this. How can we love our neighbor like a good Samaritan did today in the city of Seoul? Today, where we are in this city, how can we love like a good Samaritan man loved? Or is it even possible to do that? Isn't that really the question in your head? And we're going to turn to Isaiah 61. Man, the Holy Spirit is so cool. Uh, I didn't talk to John Michael about tonight's agenda at all. Uh, he was going to just lead prayer. He didn't tell me nothing. I was going to just preach my message. I didn't tell him anything. But same passage. And pretty much as he was leading prayer earlier, he preached my sermon. So I was like, hold up, hold up, JM. <laughs> Too much spoiler. But it's just one spirit. You know, Spirit of God is really speaking to all of us today. Isaiah 61, and my church in New Philadelphia, our vision statement comes from Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. So it's a lot to a lot of us here. It's very familiar passages, but I see such resemblance between Isaiah 61 and Luke 10, this Good Samaritan parable, and I'm going to unpack it for you. Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. Let me read it again. You guys can read along out loud. One, two, three, go. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. So if you read this passage and break it down, let me just give you nuggets of it, okay? For who the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. Let's think about that. This passage tells us clearly the spirit of the Lord God has come upon me to bring the good news to, to who? To the poor. In other translation, to afflicted, continues to the brokenhearted, to the captives, to those who are bound, to all who mourn, those who are f- with faint spirit. And in, in, in Luke chapter 10, in this parable, to the men that were stripped, beat down, and halfway dead. Do you see that they are kind of in a similar situation? One is physical. And the other is spiritual, in a sense, but physical and spiritual in Isaiah 61. But see how they were in so much need. Sick. They need help. Right? And it's interesting. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon us for us to go reach down to the lowlies, the outcast. You guys agree? Prisoners, widows, orphans, all these people that are in need. And in this Luke chapter 10, like I told you, it's from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? One thing to note about Jericho is that it's the lowest place on earth, geographically, like the, the height-wise. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. How deep is that? I have no idea. It's 260 feet below Dead Sea. 
that sees all the water, you know, gathers and it's really like, salty and, you know, you float automatically and all that, right? But it's 260 feet below the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. Isn't it interesting that this man was on the way down to Jericho, to the lowest place possible? How he was a lowly, you know? And how the Spirit of God has come upon us to reach out to all these afflicted, broken people. You guys kind of make the connection? And let's read um, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Let me just read it for you. The Spirit of the Lord God has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. It's pretty much saying that he came. You know, Jesus also said that I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. It's talking about people that are hurting, people that are sick. And to do what? To bind up the brokenhearted, it says. And 30, verse 34 of Luke chapter 10, in the parable, it says, The Samaritan man bound up his wounds. I know it's talking about physical wounds, but just follow me. It says, pouring on oil and wine. And throughout the Bible, oil is a powerful symbol of anointing. Anointing simply means pouring of oil. So he poured oil on the broken man. He anointed him. And wine is a symbol for blood. Jesus' blood, we take communion, we drink the blood, and it's the wine. Blood that cleanses. The blood that has power of salvation. So this man came and bound up the broken heart or broken body of this man and poured oil, anointed him, and brought the cleansing of the blood, which leads to salvation. Isn't it what we are called to do according to Isaiah 61? The anointing, pouring of the oil. Aren't we supposed to bring the gospel of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin? Isn't this Samaritan man prophetically doing what we are called to do? Act of love. How it's the same thing. And if anyone can do what Good Samaritan did in today, it's us with the spirit of Isaiah 61. If anyone can go out and do the ridiculous act of love the Samaritan man did, it's us in the spirit of Isaiah 61. If you believe that what the Isaiah 61 is talking about, that spirit is upon you, oh, we can for sure go out and do what the Samaritan man did. If there's got to be someone that can love a neighbor as oneself, it should be and must be us with Isaiah 61 anointing. We can't just talk about and read about and pray about Isaiah 61. We've got to move in it. What are we going to do with this? If we do and move in it, what happens is, because Samaritan, what that guy did, that's exactly what we are doing. And that's what Jesus told us to do. Love your neighbor. How it connects and is exactly the same thing.
And imagine, guys, doing what a Samaritan did, but with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, with the anointing, that you go out and heal the sick. You go out and like limbs growing out. And think about the supernatural power being added to the Samaritan's parable. Can you, can you guys imagine with me how powerful that's going to be? You know, you don't have to put him on the donkey. You just say, be healed right now, you know, and he's going to get up. Think about how powerful that's going to be. And I believe tonight God's speaking to us about how Luke chapter 10 and Isaiah 61 has to come together. And we have to really have them together in our hearts. Loving others and the anointing that we have cannot be separated. You know, you can't just move in the signs and wonders of the Spirit in church and not do anything about the people that are broken outside. we got to do something together. They're not two separate things. They are one. You know, I was thinking about the title of today's message, and I was like, man, I should just title it like, Good Samaritans on Steroids or something. Like... (laughs) Good Samaritans, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, like, that's going to change the world. Like, think about it. I was, like, trying to be, like, creative. You know, for New Philly, it's a year of inspiration. I'm trying to be creative. So I was, like, should I title it, like, Lucia 1071 or something? Like, I don't know. I was just, like, thinking. But, I mean, I'm talking about how Good Samaritan's story can be so much more powerful with the Isaiah 61 anointing that we always pray and talk about here you know and john michael kind of talked about it already but i'm going to just tell you guys about what it's going to do what it's going to do to this city first four he already talked about it but the subject of the verses one to three is i right it's me you know the spirit of god is upon me and then we go out and do all these things and all of a sudden verse four the subject changes look at this It says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations, it says. And I believe that, I mean, who are they? Who are they? They are the ones that we're going to love on. They are the ones that we're going to minister to. They are the ones that are broken. They are the ones that are lowly. They are the ones that are outcast right now. But we're going to go and they are going to be raised up to restore all the devastation that's been done for generations. I don't think we are called to do all the work, but we are called to raise up another generation that's going to do the work. Amen? They are the ones that we are going to go out and love. And I believe that this is a prophetic word for Korea. And I, I must connect it to North Korea, to be honest. I mean, think about this. I believe that as we really enter into Luke 10, Isaiah 61 together, that's preparation for reunification. A lot of you here, you are here because you have heart for North Korea, correct? And I know personally a lot of people that are in South Korea, uh, as they get ready to go to North Korea, they have heart for the nation of North Korea. But... We should not deceive ourselves to think, I have so much love for North Korean, North Korean people. What I mean by that is, if you cannot love the South Koreans that are around you today, you probably won't be able to love North Koreans that well. You know, they are known to be very difficult people to love, known to be very aggressive. They've been under deception 
and abuse of the government forever, pretty much, I'm pretty sure they will be a difficult people to love. I mean, to be honest, if you are not nice, or if you don't really care about the Chosonjok ladies, the Korean Chinese people, there are like so many of them. There are like more than 70% of the foreign population in Korea right now, because they're counted as Chinese people. But they are Koreans, right? Korean Chinese people, we call them Chosonjok. If you go to all these restaurants and all these general ladies that, ladies that clean the buildings, most of them are Chosonjoks, because they are cheap. You don't have to pay them as much. But if you don't care about them, I'm pretty sure if North Korea opens up tomorrow, they all come in as refugees, or even the orphans, most likely you won't care for them as well. That's the reality. I'm convicted myself. I can't love the people on the streets that I see. I live near Yaksu Station, and I see the same homeless guy all the time. If I can't stretch out my hands to him, I mean, thousands of North, millions of North Korean refugees, let's, let's say they come, the country opens up, what am I going to do about them? You know? But I can't deceive myself to think that, oh, I have so much love for North Koreans, but not the ones that are near me right now. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. And yeah, that's why it's got to start today. In preparation for the reunification, guys. It's not going to start the day North Korea opens, all of a sudden we're going to overflow with the supernatural love. No. It's got to start today. It's going to start with baby steps. We gotta start with the ones that are around us. I mean, I'm not even trying to be extreme here. I'm not saying we gotta all go out to Seoul Station together tomorrow, but I am saying start with the ones that are around you. The ones that are, you are reminded of right now. Why did I neglect that person for so long? Start with that person. If we don't train ourselves to love, it's not gonna happen overnight. And even if reunification, if, even if the Lord brings it tomorrow, I mean, we don't really see any hope. Without love, how are you going to change? And I've personally saw a lot of uh, just convicting, I had convicting moments, but also so much encouraging moments uh, for the past couple of weeks. Um, personally, I got to visit a juvenile prison, like a prison for youth in Daejeon. We passed Christian a couple of weeks ago. And those kids are at age 13 to like 21. Uh, they're precious, though they don't show any emotions. So what they to try to do is all these like volunteers, they try to get them to scream, try to get them to jump up and down to release some kind of like stress and oppressed emotions, but none of them do it. It's all the volunteers that go, wow, crazy. None of the kids even like look at it or they don't join in because their heart is so completely closed, you know? They are so firmly believing in their identity as failures, prisoners, and you can imagine, like, age 15, you're in prison. You know, how much of a future can you see, you know? And but then, as I entered in, you know, Pastor Christian and myself, we carried in that Isaiah 61 anointing, and on the way, on the train ride, I was prophesying that over 
even if it was just two of us, I was just prophesying over ourselves that we were going to bring the liberty to them. And as we were ministering to them, laying hands on them, as we were praying for them, I saw walls breaking down. I saw them forgiving their parents for the first time. I saw kids crying at the altar, like not caring about what other kids might think. I got to even lead one brother to Christ. You know, I, I asked him about, like, how are you? I just said, how are you? And then he started telling me about all these rejection stories, one after another, one after another. How this person rejected, and then I was sent to my dad. Dad rejected me, sent to grandma. Grandma rejected me, sent to aunt. Aunt rejected me, came to a friend's place. Rejection after rejection after rejection. And his identity is, I'm the rejected one. But I told him, Jesus will never reject you. Do you want to believe in him? He will never leave you or forsake you. Immediately, he broke in tears and said, I want to believe in Jesus. Wow, so simple. That's called anointing of the Lord. Right? It doesn't take like 20 weeks counseling. Right? They just need to hear the word of God with anointing. And I saw so much hope. And I prophesied over him. And I said, when you get out of here, you're going to come back and minister to the kids that are stuck here in 10 years. I prophesied that when you go out, you're going to come here and testify how the Lord has redeemed you. And turned all your dark past and rejections into acceptance, into glorious life. And in fact, there's been a lot of people that's been in the prison through the ministry, the vision station ministry that we worked with, and they got out of prison, and they're now pastors. And they come back to this prison and testify and minister to the same kids, right? How powerful is that? I'm telling you, we're not going to do all the work. We love on them, and they are going to do the work. Isaiah 61 verse 4, they are going to restore all the devastations. We are raising them up. But it's a generation that's going to restore all the ruin in South and North Korea. I see that happening. And also such an encouraging Facebook post. Um, it's all in Korean, so a lot of you might have just skipped over. But there was this one Facebook post with like thousands, a lot of likes. A lot of people liked it. I actually loved it. But <laughs> it's a post about uh, a guy. He's 25 years old. He, he's a Busan, Busan guy. Yeah, Busan, that's my hometown. He's a Busan guy. He has a really, really thick, real Busan accent. Like, Saturi, no joke. Like, oh my gosh, it was ridiculous. There was like a video of him and also this like, just post about what he does. He's not a full-time minister or anything, but he's a freelancer. He speaks at schools and things like that, like inspiring speeches and whatnot. But he's a strong Christian. And what he does is that he pretty much does the Good Samaritan ministry. He calls it Good Samaritan Ministry, but he it started as his just hobby and lifestyle. So it's his lifestyle, and I have this post with me. I wish I could show you the picture, but um, so what he does is that for the past three years, ever since he was 22, like a young college student, he kept the lifestyle of reaching out to the broken and outcast around him, right? So this post is about how 10 months ago he found a, um, a homeless guy on the street. Uh, you know, in the Nampo subway station, and then his uh, one eye was um, uh, blind, and then his he, he he was in a terrible condition, all dirty, smelly. You can imagine, you know, really really old grandpa, and then he had compassion on him, took him to the near the inn nearby, <laughs> like seriously inn nearby, and then he kept him there, provided him clothes, monthly allowance, food. 
um, all that. He, he did that with his own money, right? And it's ridiculous. This picture, if you, if you look at it, the, the first picture he took 10 months ago, he looks really miserable. Like, he looks really angry and bitter, the typical Korean grandpa look. And then 10 months later, he has huge smile on his face. Like, he looks so much healthier. He gained weight too. And, um, it's so cute. And then he, he now believes in the Lord, right? He's a Christian now. And it, he wrote about how he's like my grandpa now. And I'm so happy that I gained a family member. And, He's so clean. He cleans his room all the time. And when he goes to church, he now wears like a suit. You know, I don't know where he got it from. But he calls him Kanji Noshinsa, which means like a hipster grandpa, right? And um, he became so much healthier. And when they went out to eat the other day, he was writing, uh, he, the guy asked the grandpa to pray for the meal, right? He said, he said this, um, he calls this guy, Song Juhan, that's his name. He calls him Angel. Angel Song Juhan. Uh, uh, everything that he does, bless him in all that he does this year. Um, and he always calls him Angel. Angel Song Juhan, Angel. You know, how sweet is that? But I'm sure from his perspective, he is a angel from the Lord. Life on the street as a homeless guy in this freezing cold weather to all of a sudden he has a room. He has someone that visits him regularly, feeds him, calls him grandpa, gives him massage, love of Christ. How can you not see it in him, right? So this is like pretty much what he does. And he goes around the Busan station like regularly and he scans the whole square. There are so many homeless people there, by the way. And then he sees how many are out that day. He buys hot drinks, like triangle kimbabs, and then goes out to feed them. But not just, here's your food, God bless you, sits down with them, engages in a conversation, and all of them actually open up their hearts to him. Because it's so genuine. You can tell that he means what he does, right? And he just gives out food, gave them massages, get pray for them. Oh, no. Who's, oh, I thought it was my phone. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what he does for the past three years. So much fruit. He has so many of these families that he gained from this ministry. And, you know, it, it seems like uh, it's, it's really like something also we can do, you know? He doesn't make all that much money, you know. He's a freelancer. He's part-time job, you know. But it just inspired me so much. What he does, this grandpa's story, you know, he has a really beautiful girlfriend too. Like, she's she's gorgeous. And God, God loves what he's doing, definitely. <laughs> but they, <laughs> definitely, man. Man, get some ideas right now. Anyways, they... Go on dates and do the same thing. Like, go to the people that, you know those grandmas that collect recyclables all the time? And it's freezing cold weather. Like, they go out and help them, you know, push the carts, you know, go out to feed them and buy their food. And, you know, it's just beautiful stuff. Buy them scarves and gloves and things like that. And that's their date. Really cute, right? Really, really beautiful in the sight of the Lord. And... What really blessed me was that he has so many young disciples that follow him. So he goes to these high schools and middle schools and speaks to them. And he talks about, it's not necessarily like Christian message or sermon or anything, but he just shares about what he does and shares the fruit and testimony. And all these kids that hear about the story, 
start like following around him. You know, teacher, you are my inspiration. I want to be just like you. I want to do what you do. And all these kids like are so, so into him, right? All these like high school kids. And what he did was he did like a fundraising for the um, country called Luanda. Did I say it right, Luanda? But what he, what he uh, raised the fund for is goats. He wanted to he wanted to buy goats and send to the country. He he collected eight thousand U.S. dollars just from the teenagers that heard about this. You know, their piggy banks and whatever. You know, and they bought like how many goats and they sent it to Africa. You see this influence that he this guy's having over this young generation. How he's transforming the youth. You know, our youth is like under the bondage of selfishness. But these kids, man, that know this guy, man, they cannot live that same way, you know. How great of a role model he is to so many. And I'm really happy that he's blowing up on Facebook because many people are going to find out. And I'm sure it's so beautiful on his wall. I'm not friends with him or anything, but on his wall... All these kids, all these teenagers, they take pictures of them copying what he does and then post it up and stories and testimonies. So I went out to the, you know, grandma that picks up recyclables today and I helped her today. And I talked to her today, gave, it, gave her a massage today and they pictures with the grandma and then post it up there. And how cute is that? You know, a baby step, but that's like a start of a lifestyle of a good Samaritan, you know? And those little things, man. I think we can do it as well, right? And it's so, so inspired. Like John Michael said, this is for New Philly, it's a year of inspiration. If I can be inspired in one way, I want to be inspired to love people more. And more than anything, I want to be inspired to go out and love on my neighbors. And that's my heart tonight, that you guys will be inspired. Not feel condemned or feel small or feel bad about yourself, but with the people that are around you, be inspired to love on them. Today, you can start tomorrow or tonight on the way home. Something small, but with Isaiah 61 anointing, that you guys are equipped to do that. And my message is just that. So simple. And I was so excited to share about this guy. Um, I wish I could meet him sometime. sometime. But, yeah, I'm just going to close with prayer. But I want everyone to engage in one, one prayer activity. So I'm just going to ask everyone to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you guys to use your imagination and envision um, what I'm going to share. But I, I want us to pretty much just envision Luke chapter 10, the Samaritan, good Samaritan story. But in today's soul version. So just imagine yourself on the street that you always walk by. Like the familiar road or street, a subway station. What's used to you? The picture of soul to you. Just imagine yourself standing. And I want you to just picture a broken person. It could be a homeless guy that you always saw in the subway. It could be an imaginary North Korean person that you have a heart for. 
could be a cold and hungry child that's standing in the middle of the street, or it could be someone that you know that's in great help or in great need of just prayer. Doesn't have to be anything extreme, but just imagine just one person. I encourage you guys to think about even your enemy. Who you have a hard time loving on. It could be your boss that looks perfectly normal but inside so broken and sick. Whoever it is, just imagine one person in such brokenness, in such need. And I want you guys to vividly, visually imagine putting on Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord. I want you guys to feel the Spirit of the Lord God coming upon you. That empowering presence just overtaking you. The overwhelming love coming upon you. And I want you guys to take out the oil and the wine out of your pocket. Oil representing the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing. I want you to anoint that person. Put your hand on that person gently and just anoint. Set that person apart. And I want you to pour the wine that you have in your hand. The cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel that you have. Whether it's literally pouring that wine over the person or sharing the gospel with the person. Or telling the person that Jesus loves that person in any form. Physically or spiritually or both. I want you to just pour that wine upon the person. And now envision Isaiah 61 verse 4 coming alive. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. I want you to imagine that very person that you just anointed and brought the gospel too. I want you to imagine that person also going into different place of this city or this nation with the same Isaiah 61 anointing. And picture that person rebuilding all the devastation that the enemy has made. Imagine that person going out to release life. Envision that person walking in the double portion of the anointing. I'm not doing this to make you emotional, guys. I'm doing this because that's the reality. That's what we are going to do. 
That's what we are going to walk in. And I want us to just make a fresh commitment to the Lord. In 2013, if anything, God, I want to be inspired to love and love better. Love you and love your people. Love the neighbor. Neighbor meaning pretty much everyone. God, I want to be inspired to love better. But not just be inspired, but obey that inspiration. What's the point of being all inspired and challenged then if you don't follow that? Where is the obedience to that inspiration? God, inspire my heart to love. But let me obey. This is going to make a quiet auto call. And I'm already standing. But I'm going to invite anyone, if you sense that this is the word for me. And I'm going to take baby steps to live out this word. Luke chapter 10, Isaiah 61, coming together. Chris Samaritans on steroids. If that's you, I want you guys to stand to your feet. But don't do it out of pressure. Do it with conviction. It's a simple commitment to do the baby steps. I'm not telling you to go out to Seoul Station tomorrow, like I said. But begin a different lifestyle. For those who are standing, I feel like God is just prophetically, prophetically speaking to me. Um, just reminding me of the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus spoke to. And you know, she hated people. She hated the despise that despite the spite that she got from the Jewish people so much that she went to the well in the middle of a scorching sun. Like at like lunchtime when it's like crazy hot. No one wants to go out into the desert, but she chose that time. She didn't want to see anyone. But get this, when Jesus spoke to her, and when she found out that Jesus is the Messiah, and what happened to her is she ran to the village, not caring about who she was, because she cared so much about who Jesus was. She was so overwhelmed by who Jesus was and the revelation overtook her that her insecurities, her self-consciousness had no room in the moment. And she ran to the village and spread the word to everyone. And I just feel like a lot of people in this room right now, that's why we struggle. Eyes of people. Self-consciousness. Man, what are other people thinking? So many people are watching. But I feel like God is releasing the grace and freedom from that. So receive this word. Receive this word right now. That you're so overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus that you don't, you care more about Him than you don't really care about your insecurities. It's freedom right there. I'm going to invite up everyone that's standing to the front. And I'm going to have some pastors from New Philly come forward. If you're a pastor from another church, feel free to come 
board as well and help pray for people. I'm going to keep it brief, but I want everyone in this room to just respond to this message. That for you, in any form, in any way, I want everyone, I want every single person to receive the heart of this message. You know what this Hong Ji-hyun guy, his vision is to change the world. And he's not ashamed of that. He's not afraid of that. People ridicule him. There are so many haters out there. And people tell him, you know, what you do is great, but how much change can you make? But he's so confident that he can change the entire world by what he does. I want us to have that kind of ridiculous faith. And I want us to walk out of this room after tonight is over, feeling empowered to love on people better. And I want every single person to walk out of this room. Oh, the Isaiah 61 anointing that is upon me is for me to love others. I want every person to walk out with the revelation. So I'm going to invite everyone to pray. Just on your own. Pray for the people up, up front, but pray for yourself. That this love will inspire you. That this word that Jesus spoke will inspire your heart. I'm going to take about 10-15 minutes just to pray for people. Pastors, be quick, but just release, uh, just seal this word.